All right, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And as you're turning there, um, I just want to remind you that starting October 1, um, I am calling the church to pray for uh, 31 days for our nation and for our church. And um, it's always good to have a prayer guide as you're praying, you know, for uh, multiple days on end for certain things. And so what we're going to do next week, uh, you can order these on Amazon, um, but our guide will be Pray the Word for Your Church, and it's by uh, Tease L. King, 31 Prayers That Seek God's Purposes and Power. I'll send an email out uh, hopefully tomorrow or Tuesday with this information, but next week we're going to have about 100 copies um, in the back, and we're just going to you know, ask for $5 for uh, the book. That's a discounted rate, by the way. We aim to please here at Edward Road Baptist Church. All right, and so we're just going to uh, ask people to put $5 in the basket, pick up one of these. Hopefully, Bob, we may have them out there somewhere. And, um, and if you would like to just get an e-copy, I think Amazon has um, e-copies of uh, this book. So you can go to Amazon and order that. But the, the every day uh, is another reason for us to gather together and pray. Amen? Amen. All right. Okay, so just remember that, and we're going to start October 1, and we'll go all the way almost to the election. Um, but speaking of, lately I've, my mind, um, especially in the last 24 hours, my mind has gone to Second Chronicles 7.14. In Second Chronicles 7.14, we know that scripture very, very well. We've heard it a lot in church. And that is, the Lord is, is talking to Samuel, I mean to Solomon, he's talking to his people. And he says, if my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their wickedness, or I will forgive their wickedness, and I will heal their land. And I know that in that text, it's, it's after the dedication of the temple, and I know it, the Lord God is talking to ancient Israel. I understand that. And he's talking to Solomon the king. But I believe that if God's people today will follow that prescription... Humility, prayer, seeking the Lord's face, and turning from our wicked ways. I believe that whatever nation those people live in will be blessed by God. Do you believe that this morning? I believe if we humble ourselves, we pray, and we seek the face of God, and we turn from our wicked ways, and we all can ask that question of ourselves. Am I praying? Am I, am I humbling myself? Am I seeking the Lord? Am I, am I constantly seeing the sin, my sin, ever before the Lord? And am I turning from it? I believe that whatever nation we live in, that nation will be blessed. And that is why God told the prophet uh, Micah in Micah 6.8, he said, the Lord has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, that you do justly, you love mercy, and you do what? And you walk humbly before the Lord your God. Twice in the New Testament, in James and 1 Peter, uh, the, those two men tell us that God resists the proud, but gives more grace to the humble. And a lot of people have asked me, Aaron, you know, what is God teaching us through all this, this turmoil and, and, and the virus? And, and what is God going to teach us you know, through the Supreme Court in the upcoming days? What is he going to teach us uh, during the election? I think it's very clear. God wants us to walk in humility. God wants us to walk in humility before him. He wants us to walk in, in humility in worship, in our witness, 
in our walk, in our way before Him. That's what God desires of us. And He is teaching His people, He's trying to teach us humility. That the only hope that we have in this country is through the Lord God. The only way that our sins can be forgiven, the only way, listen to me friends, the only way that we can atone for our sins, whether it be just high wickedness, whether it be racism, whatever it is, the only way that we can atone for our sins is through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only hope that we have is Jesus. The only atonement for our sin is Jesus. And the only way that we can know the Father and have a relationship with Him is through Jesus Christ. And so God is calling us to humility and worship. He's calling us to humility in our witness, and He's calling us to humility in our walk before Him. Not before everybody else. He's call- Ryan, He's not calling me to walk humbly before you. Marvin, He's not calling me to walk humbly before you. Francis, He's not calling me to walk humbly before you. He's calling me to walk humbly before Him, before the Lord God. Why? It's because He knows the heart. He knows the heart. He sees right to the heart. An example of humble worship, an example of humble witness, is in our next block of text in the book of John this morning. We are in a sermon series entitled, The Gospel of the Great I Am. David, I watched his sermon twice. I promise you, I watched David's sermon twice last week, and he did a great job. Amen? Great job. And um, I was watching the TV preacher, and I thought, oh, this ain't going nowhere, man. So I went back and I listened to the sermon again, and I did a great job of setting up the prologue of, of John, you know, about the Word of God, the Logos. And now we come to the second section, which starts in uh, verse number 19. And let's read that. And starting in verse number 19, we're going to see a very good example of humility and worship, humility and witness, and humility and walk. And that is through a very unexpected uh, personality in the Bible. That's John the Baptist. In verse 19 it says, And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? John the Baptist said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And John the Baptist answered, No. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And listen to what he said. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now to see John's humility in life and in worship, we need to see the witness, that's John the Baptist. We need to go back and revisit the Word, that's Jesus Christ, what John the Baptist said about Jesus. And then lastly, we're going to look at John's worship quickly before we close. So first of all, let's look at the witness. I agree with R.C. Sproul, that great Presbyterian theologian. I miss R.C. Sproul, I really do. I agree with R.C. Sproul that, that John the Baptist is probably one of the most overlooked personalities in the Bible. And he is. Usually whenever I think of John the Baptist, I usually don't think of his message, but growing up in children's church, I think of a flannel graph character. Do you all remember what flannel graph was? 
Wasn't flannel grass, it was awesome. One of these days, I'm going to break down and buy me a flannel grass set. But I remember my mom used to teach children's church, and she used to pop John the Baptist up on the flannel grass. And there he was in his camel skin hair outfit, his leather belt, and he was eating locusts and honey. Y'all remember that? Hey, man, if you want to lose weight, locusts and honey. Works every time, works every time. Um, and that's what we usually think about John the Baptist. And we think that he was some obscure preacher out in the wilderness, out in the desert preaching. But in, in his day, John the Baptist was very notorious. I guess we could call him the notorious JTB. I mean, man, he was very notorious. You'll get that. I mean, he was very notorious. He was very, very popular in his day. Now, there is more in secular history written about John the Baptist than Jesus. There is more secular history written about John the Baptist than there was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's how notorious, that's how popular, and when I say popular, you've got to be careful with that because some people really didn't like John the Baptist, but that's how popular he was. And the reason why is because Israel had a long history of prophets, I mean, ever since the, the fall in the Garden of Eden, God had a voice. God had a voice crying in the wilderness. And, and from the end of the book of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, to the beginning of Matthew, which was about a period of about 400 years, it wasn't a year, I mean, 400 years of silence. I mean, there's a lot of tumultuousness during this time. But during this 400-year period, um, there was no prophet there was no voice of God outside of the scrolls that were written of the prophets. And then all of a sudden, at the beginning of Matthew, we see this very unorthodox, this very untraditional prophet coming on the scene, this very odd preacher who kind of looked like the guys off Duck Dynasty. You know what I'm talking about? And so he comes on the scene, and his name is John the Baptist. And he is notorious, and he is popular for two reasons. Number one, he's popular because of his message because of his message. What was his message? The message of John the Baptist was very, very simple. And the message was one word. Can y'all guess what it is? Repent. 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 Repent from your sin. You're, you're moving away from God. God's people were moving away from him. They had moved away from him. And John the Baptist is saying, look, you are God's people. You need to repent, turn around, and you need to come back to God. And this was very untraditional to the Jews. This was very unorthodox to them because what they were doing is they were relying on their traditions. They were relying on their rituals to have a humble heart. You can't do that. You can't have a humble heart just through tradition and ritual. You can't develop a humble heart just through your family line. And that's what the Jews were relying on. And John the Baptist was saying, no, 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 no. You have to come back to God with a humble heart. You can't lift your traditions and your rituals and your lineage up to the Lord as righteousness. You just cannot do that. So there needs to be repentance, an inward change of mind and heart. And so not only was his message radical, and by the way, the, the message of repentance should not have been radical. It should not have been untraditional. Because ever since the Garden of Eden, that is God's message uh, to the world. That is God's message to his people. Repent. It was the message of the prophets. It would be the message of John the Baptist. It would be the message of Jesus. It's not unorthodox. That's always been, has been God's message, was a message of repentance. But the other thing 
that made uh, John the Baptist kind of a magnet of everyone's attention was baptism. That's why we call him John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer. Now, we have to understand that baptism in Judaism came about during the intertestamental period. Now, what I mean by the intertestamental period is that time between Malachi and the book of Matthew. And so baptism came to be in Judaism during that time period. And baptism wasn't for the Jews. Circumcision was for the Jews. But baptism was for the Gentiles. Because the Jewish community believed that there needed to be some type of rite of purification. There needed to be some sign that showed that the goyim or the Gentiles had truly converted and were truly coming in to the covenant community of God. And so it was for the Gentiles. It wasn't for the Jews. And what was radical about John's baptism was it just wasn't for the Jews. Son, it was for the Gentiles. You go back and read Matthew chapter 3, which is a parallel passage of our text this morning, and you will see it was the Jews that went out into the wilderness to see him. And it was to the Jews that John said, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. Now, could you imagine how radical that was? Could you imagine how radical that was? And what John was saying, again, it's not your tradition, it's not your ritual, it's not your lineage that makes you clean on the inside. It's not these things that make you humble and walk humble before God. You know what makes you humble before God? It's repentance. Agreeing with God about your sin. Agreeing with God that you have gone the wrong way in your life and you agree with Him and you need to come back to Him. And that cut right to the quick of their pride. Now could you imagine... Here John, this really odd-looking dude with an odd diet, out in the wilderness, preaching, and everybody is going to see him. They may be even skipping synagogue to go see him. You know what I'm saying? And man, and just think what the, the Jewish leaders thought about that. Just think what the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the chief priests and all Just think what, well, they did what all good Baptists would do. You know what they did? They formed a committee. They formed a committee, and what they did is they sent that committee out to John the Baptist to check him out. And if you'll notice back in the text, they ask him a series of questions. And basically, the series of questions are twofold. Who are you and why are you baptizing? Basically, who do you think you are and what gives you the right to say that Jews need to be baptized? That's basically what they were saying. But notice John the Baptist's response to them. They ask him, who are you? And right off the bat, they didn't ask him if he was the Messiah. They asked him, who are you? And right off the bat, he said, I am not the Messiah. That's not the question they asked him, but that's the answer that he gave them. I am not the Messiah. And what John the Baptist was doing, he said, don't look at me, but look to the Messiah because he has come. He has come. And then they asked him, well, are you Elijah? And the reason why they asked him if he was Elijah is because in the scriptures, in the prophecies, it was prophesied that Elijah would come and preach before the day of the Lord. And that's why we sing that song, The Days of Elijah. We should have sung that this morning, right? Uh, it's not too late. I mean, that's why we sing The Days of Elijah. That's what it's talking about. Jesus has come. They are here. And so they asked him, are you Elijah? Are you the one that's coming before the day of the Lord? And again, he deflects, he deflects, he deflects, and he points, and he points to the Messiah. Now just think about what John could have done. 
John could have taken the non-humble route, and he could have said, like, a, like many cult leaders today, you know, you're right, I am the Messiah. You know, you guys have got a good radar. I mean, you're exactly right, I am the Messiah. And just think of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who have lost their lives because they have followed someone who claimed to be the Messiah and did not humbly reflect like John the Baptist did. Or he could have said, you know what? He said, I'm not the Messiah, but I taught him everything he knows. I taught him everything he knows. He could have said that. He could have said, you know what, I'm not the Messiah, but I could have been a contender. I am that good. I could have been a contender. But notice his humble response. No, I'm not the Messiah. No, I'm not the Messiah. No, I'm not Elijah. I am not the prophet. I am not even worthy to undo the sandal straps of the Messiah. And what John the Baptist is doing here, this is not some apologetic debate This is not John just giving um, the Pharisaical committee just information. What John is doing here, he is worshiping. He is worshiping the Lord God. Have you ever thought about that in this text? He is worshiping. Because he is seeing himself in his proper light. He is seeing the Messiah, the Lamb of God, in his proper light. And whenever we truly have a heart of worship, it's not when we get all excited, woo, and we have some tingly, emotional feeling during the worship service. Worship is seeing God for who He is and seeing ourselves for who we truly are. That's worship. That's worship. And God has called us to humble worship. God has called us to humility in our witness. And you see a lot of humility here in John. And he has called us to humility in our walk before the Lord. But let me go back. Before we can truly worship the Lord, before we can be a truly effective um, witness before the Lord, we must see Jesus for who he is. And this is what John did. And so let's move from the witness, and let's look at the Word, the Word, Jesus Christ. And so through the lens of John the Baptist, John the Apostle continues to explain who Jesus is who the Word is. All right? There's three titles that John the Baptist brings up. First of all, in verse number 20, it says, He confessed and did not deny, but confess, I am not the Christ. And then you go on further in the text in verse 41, and you see that that label, Christ or Messiah, is used again. And so twice he uses the label of Messiah. Now, what is the Messiah? The Messiah is basically the anointed one. And the Messiah or the anointed one was going to be the deliverer of Israel. The deliverer of Israel. And they thought that the Messiah was going to be the deliverer or would deliver them from their political oppressors. But that's not why the Messiah was coming. He was to deliver them from something far more insidious, far greater, and that is sin. And that is unrighteousness. And so the Messiah, or the Anointed One, was going to be the deliverer of Israel. And you see this through the prophets in the Old Testament. Not only that, but the Anointed One points to the ceremony of anointing. In the Old Testament, who was anointed? Who was anointed? Prophet, priest, and king. 
And so just to make a long story short, Jesus Christ, or the Messiah, came to be the ultimate deliverer from our sin. He came to be the ultimate prophet. He came to be the ultimate priest. And he comes to be the ultimate king. And that is exactly what Jesus is. And whenever the question was posed to John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, I am not. But Jesus says in John, I am. I am. And he says it nine times. You know, John the Baptist says no, but Jesus says, I am, 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 I am. Is that nine times? I can't count. But anyway, but he says, I am. And what Jesus is saying, he is saying, I am the Yeshua HaMashiach. I am the Messiah of God's people. I am the Messiah of the world. And what the Messiah, now listen to me, what the Messiah brings into our life that we cannot, are you with me? What should produce humility in our lives is that the Messiah brings into our lives something that we cannot, and that thing is hope. That thing is hope. It is amazing. Folks, I think we ought to vote. I think we ought to be serious about our vote. I think we ought to be uh, uh, biblical in our vote. I don't think we ought to be Republican or Democrat. I think we ought to be biblical in our vote, and I'll say more about that later. But, but the thing about it is, folks, listen, we've got to do all these things as citizens of the United States of America. And by the way, I am still glad I live in America. All right, just get that out of there. But the thing about it is, it can't bring us hope. It cannot bring us that bedrock hope that we need. Donald Trump can't bring it. Joe Biden can't bring it. Even the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution, you know, and people say, Aaron, what are you? Are you Republican or Democrat? I am a Christian constitutionalist. But even the Constitution cannot bring us hope. The only thing that can bring us hope is Jesus Christ. That is it. That's it. And so John in humility deflects that question, and he says, I am not the Messiah. I can't bring hope into the world. I can't bring hope to myself. Only the Messiah, Jesus Christ, can do that. And the second thing, or the second title that John attributes to Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. In verse number um, 34, or the verse number 29, it says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then again in verse 36, he uses that title one more time, the Lamb of God. Now I want you to put on your thinking caps this morning and follow me on this. We have heard the Lamb of God so many times in the church, it just kind of rolls off of our mind. Um, but the title Lamb of God has been very controversial down through the centuries. And the reason why it's been controversial down through the centuries is because a lot of liberal scholars say that John the Baptist made this title up, that Jesus was never called the Lamb of God. He was never called the Lamb of God. And, and, and by the way, there are only two times in the Bible that Jesus is called the Lamb of God. It's in the book of John and the book of the Revelation. It's only two times that Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And a lot of scholars believe, say, see there, John made that up. But they are living in ignorance, folks. Because all you have to do is go, go back to uh, Genesis chapter 22. And, and, and when, when Isaac asked Abraham, remember when Isaac was laid out on the altar and Abraham was getting ready to sacrifice his son, Isaac said, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And then before he was going to sacrifice his son, what was in the thicket? It wasn't a lamb. It was a ram. It was a ram. 
And so there was not a perfect lamb sacrifice. It was a ram that was in the thicket. And so in my understanding, in my belief, I believe that, that a lamb, perfect lamb was not sacrificed because the perfect lamb had not yet come. And that would be Jesus Christ. He was sacrificed on our behalf. And then you go down to Exodus chapter 12. And there in Exodus chapter 12, all the plagues, I mean, of God were being unleashed on Egypt. And I know I'm being very simple and I'm being very quick, and I have to this morning. But all the plagues were being released on Egypt. And we come to that last plague, and it is the, it is the, 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 the killing of the firstborn. It is the Passover. And what did God tell his people to do? In order for there to be a passing over of your firstborn, you need to take a perfect spotless lamb, slaughter it, and put the blood of the lamb over the lintel or over the doorpost of your home, and then God would pass over their homes. And what was happening in Genesis chapter 22 and Exodus chapter 12 was the lamb became a substitute. Now listen to me. The thing that the Messiah can bring into our life that we cannot bring into our life is hope. The thing that the Lamb of God brings into our life that we cannot bring ourselves is the forgiveness of sin. It is the forgiveness of sin. I wish that I could say that I could be good enough and that you could be good enough to forgive your own sin, but you cannot. The reason why is because you are imperfect. I know that's news for some people this morning, but you are imperfect And you cannot be the substitutionary sacrifice for your sin. And so that's why God required a a spotless, a, a lamb without blemish to be sacrificed in Exodus chapter 12. And that lamb became the substitute or the substitution for the sin of the nation of Israel. And so God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, the true, spotless, perfect Lamb of God. He loved, loved the Lord so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Why did God send His Son? Because His Son was spotless. He was without blemish. He was perfect. He was perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. He came to this earth. God became man. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. He died the death that we deserve, that we should have died. He paid the penalty for my sin. And I cannot do that in and of myself. There is absolutely no way I can do it. How many times, even as Christians... Have we tried to be good to atone for our sins? How many times have we tried to do this and do that to atone for our sins? When folks, the only atonement for our sin is Jesus Christ. And that ought to humble us. That ought to humble us. I remember hearing stories about Martin Luther, the great reformer. Before he he had a conversion experience, um, he would go and he would just whip himself, would just bloody himself. He went to Rome and there he climbed up on his knees, pilot steps, and just bloodied his knees to atone for his sin. Somehow, hoping that God would show him favor, that God would love him, and all the while, God loved him perfectly through his son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. God showed him perfect love through his son, Jesus Christ. We cannot do that. And that ought to be very humbling to us. Very, very humbling to us. It is something that we cannot do. The next one, 
is the Son of God. Now, I've got to go quickly, all right, the Son of God. And, and you find this over um, in, in verse number 34, where he says that not only is he the Messiah, the Lamb of God, but he is the Son of God. And quickly, what does the Son of God mean? The Son of Man, if you study it, that phrase, Son of Man, goes back to the book of Daniel, and it points to God the Deliverer. You just have to do some study on that. The Son of God means the eternal Son who is equal to God Himself. And that points back to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, or the Son, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? Word was what? Was, was God. And there is, there is no doubt that, that John the Baptist is saying that this is the eternal Son of God who is God Himself. And the thing that the Son of God brings into our life that we cannot bring ourselves is a relationship and knowledge of the Father. The only thing, I mean, the thing that the Son of God brings into our life that we cannot bring ourselves is a relationship and knowledge of the Father. That's why we have John 3.16. That is why in John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. That is why Jesus said in uh, John chapter 14, you know, uh, where, uh, where Thomas said, Lord, you know, we don't know the way, show us the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now listen to this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? By or through me. No one has knowledge of the Father except through me. No one has understanding of the Father except through me. No one has a relationship with the Father except through me. No one can do it except through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can't do it. And that'll be very humbling to us. That the only hope that we can, I mean true hope, folks, the only true hope that we can have in this life is Jesus Christ. The only atonement of our sins that we can have is through the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The only knowledge that we can have and the way to relationship with God is through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And folks, this ought to be very, very humbling to us. But not only that, but it ought to just, I mean, encourage us and motivate us to worship God. Amen? We can't do it, but He did. Um, There's a, a conductor by the name of Arturo uh, Toscanini. And it is said that, that Toscanini um, led an orchestra, um, and, and he did, it was almost like a perfect performance of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And after Toscanini concluded, he ended it, they said the crowd just went absolutely crazy. I mean, just went wild. And Toscanini bowed, and he accepted the praise, And it says, then he turned around to the orchestra and he said, lean in, lean in. And he said this to his orchestra. He said, gentlemen, I am nothing. Gentlemen, you are nothing. But Beethoven is everything, is everything. And what John is doing in the scripture this morning, he's telling us to lean in, lean in, lean in, lean in, lean in. I've got something to tell you. You are nothing, and I am nothing, but Jesus is everything. Why? It's because He is God in the flesh. And He is the only one that can bring us hope. He is the only one that can bring us atonement. 
And He is the only one that can show us the way to the Father. And this led John to worship God. And he worshiped God in the negative. And what I mean by that, three times John said, I am not. I am not. Three times he said, I am not. Two times he said, I am not worthy. And whenever we truly worship God, whenever we come into His presence, uh, whenever we worship Him, whatever we're doing, what we are saying is, I am not, I am not, I am not. But you are. Jesus, you are everything. I am not worthy, I am not worthy. But Jesus, you are worthy of everything. And isn't that so opposite of what Satan did in Isaiah chapter 14? In Isaiah chapter 14, five times, Satan said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. But he did not, he did not, he did not, he did not, he did not. He shall not, he shall not, he shall not, he shall not, he shall not. And that is why Jesus said, I am. I am. I am. And before we can ever worship God in humility, and by the way, there is no worship without humility, by the way. Before we can ever worship God in humility, we must say, I am not. I am not. I am not, but Lord, you are. I am not worthy. I am not worthy, but Lord God, you are. I think one of the most pathos-laden comments in our text, when I close with this, that is just filled with passion and just kind of communicates John's humility and his worship as he considers who the Messiah is. It's found in verse number 27. John said, He who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal, I am not worthy to untie. And I believe right here is where we really see the humility in John's worship. Because in John the Baptist's day, in John the Apostle's day, um, a disciple was not only one who sat under the teaching of a rabbi, but a disciple of a rabbi was basically a servant to the rabbi. Not only would they listen to the teaching and try to follow the teaching of the rabbi, I mean, but they would, they would prepare food, they would prepare clothing, they would do most anything that the rabbi required of them except one thing. They wouldn't touch the sandals. They wouldn't touch the feet. That was for a slave. That was for the humble of the humble of the humble of the humble. And that is why it was so radical that Jesus washed the feet of the disciples because it was considered just unclean. And then John the Baptist comes around and he says, look, I am not a disciple I am not even a servant. I am so much lower than that considering who he is and who I am. I am not even worthy to just untie the sandals of the feet of the Lamb of God, the Messiah, and the Son of God. And so John is saying, don't look at me. I'm lower than a disciple. I'm lower than a slave. I'm not worthy to clean his feet. Don't look at me. Don't look at me, look to Him, because He is everything. Because He is everything. Child of God, you remember that in the next 30-something days, 45 days. You remember that. Because I believe that the waters are getting ready to be stirred. 
I believe there's going to be a lot of friction and a lot of tumult in our nation. But let's remember, He is our hope. He is our atonement. And He is our way to the Father. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Allow Him to humble you. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Before we close, let me just say this. I pray that you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that you know that Jesus is your hope. I pray that you have relied on Jesus to be the atonement, the forgiveness, the sacrifice for your sin. I pray that you know and you have experienced that Jesus as a Son of God is the way to the Father. He is the truth and the life. He is the light. He is the way to the Father. I pray that you know that. If you do not know that, I pray that today will be the day of your salvation. Where you come to the point where you realize, I can't, I can't, I can't conjure these things up in my life. And humbly, and that should humble us, and humbly, Lord, I come to you and I ask you, Lord, for help. I need help. I need assistance. I need my sins forgiven. I need hope in my life. I need peace in my life. And it can only come by understanding that Jesus lived the perfect life that you were supposed to live. Jesus became the sacrifice for your sin that you could not become. And if you repent of your sin, if you repent of your sin, and you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, and you ask Him to forgive you of your sin. The Bible says, if we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. And I pray that today that you will do that. Don't put that off. I pray that today that you will do that. I pray that you'll confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you would like to know how, through the Word of God, believe me, we're not going to show you how you can be a good Southern Baptist. We're going to show you through the Word of God how you can be truly saved. I pray that you'll just meet me right over here after the service and we can show you through the Word of God how to be saved. I pray that you'll do that. Don't put that off. Eternity is at stake. This morning, if you would like to join Edwards Road Baptist Church, you meet me right over here and we can show you how you can join Edwards Road Baptist Church. We have had, I don't know how many people in the, in the last month join our church, maybe seven or eight. I can't remember, Bob. I mean, it's, it's been tremendous. It's been a blessing during this time of distancing and stuff like that. But I pray you'll meet me right over here. We can show you how you can join Edwards Road Baptist Church. Child of God, let me just talk to you one second. Give me one more second. What is your hope? What is really your hope? What are you relying on to atone for your sin? Not really, what are you relying on? What are you relying on to make God love you more? Guess what? You can't, you, God cannot love you any more than He's loved you through Jesus Christ. He loves you perfectly. What are you relying on for your relationship with the Father? Don't look at me. Don't look at Edward Road Baptist Church. Don't look at the Baptist Convention. Look to Jesus. Because He is what? He is everything. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, 
All God's people said, let's pray. If you don't mind, let's just stand in reverence to the Lord. As we prepare our hearts in prayer to worship the Lord in humility, to close out this service with our benediction song, and let's just humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord this morning. Father, we thank You for Jesus, for He is everything. We thank You for the blessed Holy Spirit that reminds us of the hope and the forgiveness that we have in Jesus and reminds us of the relationship that we have with You, Father, through Jesus. Lord, these are tumultuous times in our nation and the waters are probably going to get a lot more rough. But Lord, I pray that we will remember as Your children that we are conquerors. The Bible says, yes, we are more than conquerors. We are more than overcomers through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? It's because You have overcome the world. And really, Lord, in Your Word, it teaches that we should not fear, fear not, fear not, fear not. You tell us over and over again in Your Word, fear not, fear not. And Lord, we should not fear. Because we have been made more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from Your love. We are unsinkable. Even in death, we are victorious. Because You have won the victory over the grave and over death. And so, our Father, we pray that You remind us of this hope that we have in Jesus. I pray that You remind us that we have forgiveness of sin, that we should rejoice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Because my sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. They have been cast into the sea of forgetfulness. And Father, we should humbly come before You and worship You because through Jesus Christ, not only do we have hope and forgiveness, but Father, we can know You. Can we know everything about You, Father? No, we cannot. Because we are not God. You are. But we can know You. And we can have a relationship with You. And Father, we rejoice. And we thank You for that. Lord, make us humble with such tremendous knowledge. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. All God's people said. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwards Road Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church. But if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org.